Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Discover More, where we strive to accelerate the learning process together through intentional dialogues. My name is Benoit. And my name is Aiden. This podcast was built on the foundation of approachable guests, synthesized experiences, and relatable lessons that will help you grow throughout your journey. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope you enjoy and continue to discover more. Welcome back to another episode of Discover More. This week, we are continuing our monthly trend of staying away from interviewing any particular guest, but we're doing just a check-in between Aiden and myself. And in this week's episode, we are particularly talking about some of my lessons, my reflections, and frankly speaking, probably one of the most profound takeaways I've had uh, in the last few years in terms of what I've taken away uh, after I moved here from Philadelphia since I've lived in LA for almost two months now. And this is interesting to me because first of all, time flies, July is almost over. And secondly speaking, that what I thought I would do when I first came to LA and the initial plan that Aiden and I had in mind in terms of how I want to go fully into developing podcasts, working on the rebranding, working on recruiting guests and networking since LA is known as the capital of creatives uh, in the United States and in the world. But a series of events had happened and many things had actually led me to shift my priority from external to internal. And rather than working on the podcast that we both love very much and dedicate to, but instead zooming in on this very seldom idleness and this full restful period that I've never had before through my first unemployment in six years since I've worked after graduate from college. And that's where I want to talk about some of my takeaways, how I first felt when I was met with zero work, zero professional commitments, how restless I felt, how unworthy I felt versus my most recent transition and how I feel now, two months on the other side. Thanks for sharing, Benoit. I think you said a lot of really important and interesting things in there. It's been a pleasure for me to kind of watch these last two months transpire for you and the shifts that have happened in, like you alluded to, the way that you initially intended to spend this time and then the true reality of what that time was. And I think a lot of really exciting realizations have come come into our awareness that you've previously shared with me. And one of the interesting things that you mentioned in that was the relationship of idleness and worthiness. I think you alluded to both of those concepts, but I think for me, they really resonate strongly because I've always tied those two things together or rather productivity and worthiness. And I'm curious as to what came up around those topics for you in the past few months? Is it redefining what they mean to you, relating to them in different ways, or really what has come up from the work that you've been doing the last few few months in regards to idleness, achievement, and worthiness? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think that's definitely the relationship between productivity, idleness, and worthiness is I think going to be the main topic and the main ethos of this podcast, at least that's my intention, 
So like I said, in terms of the timeline, I quit my last job as a program manager on May 14th. That means I haven't worked professionally speaking since May 14th, right? I obviously moved to LA about two months ago. And the first month, I was very restless. I felt very unproductive. I felt very worthless in a sense because I'm definitely one of the few fortunate collectives with the financial upbringings that I had. I had the privilege and I had the option to give up my background in private sector and go into the first pivot of nonprofit policy sector. And obviously I had the privilege of attaching or finding my purpose or seeking fulfillment from what I did full time. That's why I loved what I did. On top of that, I have this podcast with you as our purpose project, right? We do every single week. But for the first time in my life, I lost my main source of fulfillment. I lost that channel. I didn't have a way to fulfill my cup, which was with my job, giving back to the clients, giving back to a disenfranchised, marginalized community, making an impact, making a very visible impact on a policy level. I no longer had that. So I felt very empty inside. I felt this insatiable hole in my heart that I just felt empty every single day, even though for the first time in six, seven years, I had all the time in the world. I could have slept until 2 p.m. if I wanted to. I could have watched Netflix all day. I could have just taken a leisure stroll, go to parks, do whatever I wanted with no agenda, with no professional commitments, no boss hovering over my head telling me the time deliverables. Yet, I found myself miserable. Honestly, I felt very, very miserable because I realized the caveat of high impact job is obviously you're sacrificing, you're trading off high income for the high impact. But for the first time, I lost both. I didn't have high income nor high impact. I didn't have any impact because I wasn't working. Um, So I struggled a lot. And I think initially we talked about I'm going to devote three months into podcasting. I'm going to network. I'm going to do all this to expand our podcast from what it already is. But then I realized, wait a minute, just like how the COVID was a great pause, as you called it before, to the many people, it gave many people who had the intention to a time and a time frame of reflection. It gave a lot of people an opportunity to reflect for the first time in decades. Likewise, I think for me, this two months of idleness was a microism of COVID that for the first time, aside from COVID, since I still worked, I worked from home, I never stopped working even during the COVID pandemic, I realized, oh, I could truly work on myself for the first time. I've always been a personal help junkie since I was 14, just like you are, read all these books, you know, meditated and all these toolkits, but I've never done just work. I've never just worked on myself, but nothing else. Um, and obviously that prompted a lot of transitions in my mindset, my takeaways, and obviously we could talk more about that. Yeah, I would definitely love to go down and see what some of those big lessons to come up, but I really like to, I guess, affirm the relevance of this conversation because I think a lot of people, myself included, deal with that you know, struggle between achieving, feeling productive and feeling worthy, right? I think a lot of us growing up in America, achievements put on a pedestal, whether it's getting good grades, scoring a lot of goals in sports, graduating with additional titles. As we move into adulthood, I see a lot of action that's centered around 
achieving more and more. So maybe that's putting an MBA on the last name or a MPH or just constantly striving, maybe a PhD. And I think by no means am I dissuading people from pursuing higher education because I think those things are very important. But it just feels like, say you look on LinkedIn and someone has 12 different certifications and 12 different things, like at some point it's striving for the achievement or the bucket list check mark rather than the pursuit itself. And I think that's something I've, I've thought a lot about in my own life is what the true motivations are behind specific actions and not having it just be achievement. And this is something I've talked through with a lot of friends recently. And I think excited to hear your perspectives around it because I think it is very timely, especially for teachers are the profession that really comes to mind with the summers off. Um, I've had conversations very recently in the past week with some of my teacher friends battling that idleness time that you just alluded to, right? Uh, teachers especially are used to teaching, serving, contributing, really helping other people learn. And then with a three, three months in the middle of the summer, I think a lot of those feelings can come up of, I'm no longer serving, I'm no longer contributing. How can I find value in just being rather than serving other people? So I'd love to hear kind of your big takeaways from this last few months. Yeah, absolutely. And before we start, I just want to define what idleness means. We just released our episode 75 last week titled How We Can Use Language to Be More Intentional in Everyday Life. And I think the intentionality is important because it helps us empower ourselves, right? Likewise, I do think that language is very important. So I just want to define what idleness is. The reason why I want to define it because even now, as many listeners and as people are listening to this, the first initial instinctive response they're hearing in themselves is, oh, idleness means you're lazy, you're being unproductive, right? And even if you look up the definition, which I urge everyone to do, the first definition of this noun, idleness, comes up as laziness. But if you look at the second definition, it just simply means inactivity and inaction. That's what idleness means by default. The true definition, it just means in action. You're not producing, you're not acting on it. You're just at a full stop. But I think the societal narrative became with idleness is, oh, you do not want to be idle. Idleness has been shunned upon by the society because we live in this very capitalistic driven world that you have to produce, produce, produce. So I do want to urge people to redefine the word for themselves as Let's not associate idleness with evil because it's not. It just means inaction. And you need the rest to recover so you can show up better. Whether you want to be a more optimal performer at your job, better girlfriend, better boyfriend, better son, better sibling, you need the recuperation to show up better. And I do want to just clarify and preface this by saying that we are not naive. We understand that everything we're saying is predicated on the fact that we're being intentional, right? There is an intention because it's a fine line between idleness to rest and recover versus being complacent. We're talking more about the former through intention. So the way I was able to reframe it after a month of mental health struggle, frankly, I was feeling very low. I was exhibiting some depressive symptoms. I didn't have a lot of energy. I was able to force myself to go work out every day because I've already built the neural pathways. It has already become second nature to me. So it doesn't require extra mental energy to go work out. But besides that, I just lost a lot of interest. I didn't want to leave my bed. 
I didn't really have a lot of appetite. But then once I was able to redefine idleness for myself, I realized, got it. Even a sports car, supercar, Ferrari, a Lambo, whatever you name it, they can drive 300 miles on the highway. But at a point, they need to stop, right? And they have to refuel, literally, at a gas station. Same for pressure cooker. I think the society uses pressure cooker as a common analogy, saying that, hey, pressure creates diamonds, which is true, but it also cracks a lot of coals. Not everything becomes a diamond. Most things crack, but the few that survives become a diamond. And if you look at the mechanism, the mechanics of pressure cooker, it stops to release the pressure, right? It's not cooking the entire time. And that's how I was able to approach idleness is I realized like what David Cho, very famous artist, he said it on Joe Rogan one time after he was able to be vested $150 million from Facebook, he became one of the wealthiest artists in the world. And after he that, he realized I'm not working on anything. I'm just working on myself. And I watched the interview like almost a year ago, but it resonated with me and it still resonates with me so deeply because I think we live in the societal and social narratives that everyone's always saying, I'm busy. I'm always busy. I'm working on this. I'm working on that. I have meetings. I have emails. But if we're always busy, when do we have time for ourselves, right? Just like our former guest, Wes Wilson, amazing TED speaker, uh, recently published author. And his whole mantra is about how can you love yourself if you don't spend time with yourself? I realize this is the first opportunity I've had due to circumstances of my life that I'm very grateful for that, oh, I can finally dedicate a month to two months to nothing else, to no one else, but to me, just working on myself. And that's why I have I was able to find peace, frankly. And I was able to feel this tangible shift in my personality, in my energy, and I've just became a lot more balanced. Uh, because I do think that being high functioning for people like you and I who have bent towards type A personalities, especially for me who gets into go, go, go mode a lot, um, there is a hidden cost. And I think for me specifically, the cost of my high functionality usually shows up in my interpersonal relationship, which is usually with my girlfriend or how I treat people unknowingly. And I'm able to feel and still feel the balance, the balancing shift every single day. Absolutely. And, you know, just would like to affirm the shift that I've also tangibly noticed in the past few months, like the the balanced feeling that you just mentioned is very apparent from the conversations that we've had in the past few months. And I think from what you just said, I'm definitely really curious around the process as to kind of how you shifted through these depressive feelings that you alluded to back in June and then into the more peaceful feelings that you just referenced that you're feeling and experiencing currently. Uh, but I think before that, I just would really like to echo and highlight the importance of rest um, with maybe some like tangible examples as to why that shift is so important or that distinction between rest recovery and then action and productivity, right? I think working in corporate America myself, it seems like burnout is almost a badge of honor. People are always expressing how many hours they're working or how they're going to get on their laptop later at 9 to 9.30 at night just to like knock out another few emails. Like, I guess perception around how hard everyone is working comes from almost that like hourly standpoint of how much time are you putting in, how much energy is going forward, when really I would argue that more intentional use of that time of waking up with a fresh eight hours of sleep, meditating, eating well, working out, doing things that make you be able to focus and actually 
be productive while you are working is more advantageous than just that, you know, 50% on 50% off example. And I'm speaking to this from firsthand experience. And it's something that I've been playing with the last two weeks in that while I was at work, you know, for most of the last six months, I would have Spotify open, looking at my text messages, maybe writing some notes down while working on my work, right? So this is three hours at a time at maybe 60% effort on and then 40% whatever distractions came my way. Whereas after reading the book, The Art of the Impossible by Stephen Kotler, I really started experimenting with flow state and really like intentionally pocketing periods of time. So from 12 o'clock to 1240, I'm going to work, no distractions, music in, just flow state. And then 20 minutes of like intentional relaxation and rejuvenation. So maybe it's a phone call, maybe it's a walk, maybe it's a phone break where I check Instagram. But this idea is known as the Pomodoro technique where you actually select pockets to work productively and then rest intentionally, which it sounds like you're talking about in just a larger context of not hours in the day, but rather months in the year or years in the lifetime. So with that said, I'm really excited to hear this process of what steps you went through to kind of transition from that unproductive, lackadaisical feeling into what you just articulated as peaceful and balanced. So I'd like to turn the mics back over and love to hear what you have to say. Yeah, um, yeah, before that, so what you said about people almost viewing and displaying their levels and their frequency of burnout as badges of honor resonates with me a lot. And I think it reminds me of what our former guest policy director, Jess, talked about, like the woke Olympics, where, oh, I'm more woke than you are. He's like, no, no, you're not woke enough. I'm more woke. And there's also on a similar token, hardship Olympics is when we silo our own hardships in comparison with other person's hardships, right? And there, in this case, it's almost like the busy Olympics. No, it's not enough that I already work 40 hours a week. It's not enough that I work 50 hours a week. It's like, no, I'm working 80 hours a week. Look at how busy I am. And because of this quantifiable variable in my hours, that means I'm more productive. Therefore, I'm more worthy. And I think that's the relationship that I want to focus on for this episode. And that's the societal narrative that I struggle the most. Is because, like I said, I think societally speaking, within the United States especially, we directly associate how productive we are in this sense, very quantifiable sense that how many hours are we clocking in, clocking out versus how truly worthy we feel. Um, The advantage of people like me is that as long as I'm working, I'm extremely high energy. I'm very fulfilled. I'm very happy. I'm very grateful. But the downside is that once you take away that streams of income in terms of not financial income, but incoming of purpose and fulfillment, is I lose my sense of hope, I lose my sense of purpose. Um, So to answer your question, Aiden, and I do want to caveat to say by saying that this may not work for everyone, we fully understand that I am sharing my experiences and my takeaways, but what applies to me may not be applicable or even relevant for someone else. Uh, But for people like me who are very type A, who are very schedule and habits and routine forward people, I realized I needed a routine is like I said, even during the great pause of the pandemic, I was able to work from home. So my life was a lot more flexible. It was pretty chill for the most part, at least with my personal life. Uh, But I realized I never got to that depressive state because I had work as my anchor. 
I had to go to work. I had to attend meetings. I had to do X, Y, and Z. But right now I realized um, for the first two weeks, I do want to say very transparently that I woke up at like 1 p.m. I was sleeping until 12 noon and I'll stay up till 1, 2, 3, 4 a.m. Just binge watching Netflix or just talking or just doing whatever because I realized I had free time. I could do what I've wanted. And this is the reality gap that I alluded to before is the expectations of what you're expecting or hoping isn't always the same thing as what the reality is. During my last week of work, leading up to when I quit on May 14th, I was psyched. I was like, oh man, I'm not going to have any job. I could do whatever I want. That joy or that blissfulness that I thought I wanted lasted about three days. After the fourth day, I became miserable. I'm like, what am I doing with my time? So I realized I needed a routine. So similar to what Dr. Jordan B. Peterson stated frequently throughout his books, 12 Rules for Life, he says, chaos and the opposite of chaos is order. And at least that dichotomy that I associate with is that I needed to anchor myself with a routine. So I started working on every morning. Uh, I started to um, devote an hour time with meditation plus journaling. I meditate about 20 to 30 minutes every day and I journal for about 10, 15 minutes. And then leading up to that, I go to workout. And after I come back from the gym, I block out about two hours to four hours on complete time on working on myself, this inner work. And I'm doing shadow work. So shadow work for people who's not too familiar with the term, uh, it's when we're working on our shadows. And obviously every sentient beings, whether you're humans, animals, we all have shadows because of the earth and the sun relationship. And what that means is you can never get rid of your shadows. So working on shadow is working on the parts of yourself that it's most difficult to work with. Oftentimes it's trauma, oftentimes of self-narratives, limiting beliefs. Um, and I'm not going to go too deep or even talk about the shadow work that I've been doing for the past 28 days. The specific shadow work modality I'm working through is a 40-day journey. And obviously the number 40 is very spiritual with Christianity, with a lot of religious context. And we're going to talk more about that in our upcoming episodes through our next cast, Andrea Rumler, that's being released in two weeks from now. And about a month from today, we will be releasing an exclusive episode with just Aiden and myself, since both of us are partaking in the shadow work that I just alluded to. And we'll talk more details there. Um, so yeah, so going back to it, and then I dedicate about two to four hours because every day is different. Some days are a little bit easier for me because I've already done the work before or I've already been exposed to the knowledge or the content or the context. And, but the some days really takes me hours. Um, I've wanted to cry when I was doing this and I wanted to really integrate. But the important thing about shadow work or therapy or anything is like when you go to a therapy, you're not actually doing the work. That hour a week you spend money on by talking to an expert therapist, that's not the work itself. It's the navigation. You still got to drive. Even when you're using Waze or Google Maps, it shows you where you're going, but the driving itself, the actual work, has to be done by the driver. So I realized it requires integration period, which is the next hour to two hours during this four-hour block that I dedicate just meditate or sit with my thoughts and sit with my feelings, sit with whatever lessons are surfacing based on the work I just did. And after that, obviously, I do podcast stuff. I'm still editing every single week. And like I said, I do want to say once again for the listeners that it's very important to be intentional because idleness is not an excuse to be complacent and lazy because there is such thing as laziness. 
but idleness just means you're not in a go 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 mode but you're taking a break and you're resting so that you can show up better in the future and we have six interviews plans in the next few weeks so we are definitely doing work but in terms of my own spiritual growth and personal growth um, that's the pivoting i took mentally is that okay let's redefine what idleness is and then let's see how i can anchor myself based on i can be quote unquote productive in terms of i'm still doing things through intention but i'm not necessarily producing any output yeah i love that and i think a idea for me that really comes up is the reframe of procrastination and recovery right so taking that idleness with intention of showing up for other things or resting to then be able to come back in a new way but really procrastination is something that i've dealt with a lot throughout my entire life and i think just asking internally of is this idleness from a place of laziness and procrastination right the resistance around doing a specific thing because we don't want to do it or is that idleness for a specific topic or a specific purpose that's more forward-looking of hey i want to go to bed early so i can show up tomorrow a little bit better but really having that intention behind the idleness is one i guess reframe that's really helped me and i think would be interesting to point out and then an additional item that you mentioned that I'd like to double click on is the integration period, because I think that's super, super important. The idea that you brought up is integrating through intentional space on the backside of work. So taking those that hour or two to meditate, sit on, really just like explore internally what those are. But then I'd also like to take it a layer deeper into the external integration and the idea of using those realizations in life or applying what you learn in a meditative practice to actual external circumstances. So the example that really comes to mind for me is meditation, right? Like meditating on a pillow can only get you so far, in my opinion. There's definitely loads of experience and insights that can come from the pillow. But for me, the real value has been in applying that meditative practice to conversations to interactions with other people of say someone says something that's offensive or that you disagree with but really being able to harness that meditative practice take a breath and then respond with grace or with compassion and not lash out into old limiting beliefs or old tendencies but really like applying that meditative practice to everyday life i think is an integration period that has been exceptionally helpful for me and is almost like a new perspective that i now relate to meditation of not meditating to check it off my daily to-do list, not to just do the habit, but really to hone that practice so that I can apply it in everyday life. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm actually curious, Aiden, that uh, before you asked me the question, you were saying how this topic is especially relevant for you and hopefully to whoever is listening. I'm not the only person who fell victim to this societal narrative, this narration that hey, if you're not producing, 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 if you're not checking all these boxes, if you're not delivering all these projects within a deliverable timeline, you're worthless because your worth is based on how much you produce. That's the narrative that I had to dismantle for myself. That's why I started this episode with let's redefine what idleness is. And not just redefine because idleness definition is both. People just focus more on the laziness aspect rather than 
Idleness simply means inaction. With your exposure and your experiences and the recent conversations you've been doing with your friends, especially like we know teachers, they give their soul to their students, to their work for nine months out of the year. But that's why they need the three months to take off and truly rejuvenate and recover. And they need to embrace the idleness so that they could show up to be the best teacher for the remaining nine months to instill lessons and beliefs into the next generation. So based on your conversations, what are some of the takeaways that resonate with you and you think that might be beneficial to share in this episode? Good question. I think for me, the concept of creating space is the most relevant. For me, I relate to creativity through a lens of having space in one's life, right? So new ideas or new things or new experiences can only come when there's space for those things to enter. And I think your story right now elegantly speaks to that of you took the work, the workload from your corporate job out of the lens and now had space for all of these new insights and feelings to emerge. And I think for me, that same idea applies in something as, you know, micro as a Instagram caption to write, right? Like removing things from the consumption lens. So maybe if I'm planning to write, I will listen to less podcast or listen to less content to allow ideas to emerge from my creative space. So I relate to creativity through a sense of space and then productivity through a sense of routine. So I think your point around habits was really important to mention of creating those habits that you can kind of latch onto and essentially control, really allow those habits to build momentum in terms of allowing you to approach new problems and try and approach new concepts. So I think for me, balancing space and routine is the real balance that's always ongoing, but really comes up as the front of mind because I think both are extraordinarily important to consider in this sense of worthiness, right? So if you had idleness where you sat around for 24 hours a day and did absolutely nothing, you wouldn't be feeling the way that you are doing. You know, there's still that internal work that needs to be done is therefore leading to this peaceful and balanced feeling. But at the same time, there's that hint of productivity in that. So I guess it's an idea that I'm just starting to kind of bring to life, but almost stripping out the achievement of the end goal of what you're doing and rather focusing on the process itself, right? So having space, but not doing completely nothing, but rather finding worth in the process or the practice and that process or practice can be whatever you know lights you up that is listening maybe it's walks in nature maybe it's the internal work that we've just been discussing maybe it's playing sports but really whatever thing you find enjoyable both approaching it from a place of space and a place of routine and i think that balance is really where we can find a healthy sense of worthiness Absolutely. And I think hearing about what you're saying about the importance of creating space, because if you look at conceptually, right, you literally can't introduce new things into a full bucket. There has to be space for whatever things to fill it up with. And Joseph Campbell, a very famous mythologist, it's either him or Maya Angelou, one of those two people. But they said something like, when you give up who you are, you might become who you could be. And I think it talks about the difference between actuality and potentiality, right? And I think humans were the very few species 
in this universe, at least to the best of our knowledge and exposure, that we can concurrently deal with both the actuality of who we are, the present and the past, but also the potentiality of the future. That's why there is such thing as forward thinking, that only humans, we can grasp that on a conceptual level. Because I do agree with you that um, I think the reason why integration hasn't been as effective in my past, uh, even when I was doing shadow work, inner work, journaling, meditating, you know, working on myself, because once again, simple work doesn't necessarily mean easy work, right? Right now, I have a very simple routine, just working on myself, working out physically, and then working out mentally and emotionally through my shadow work. It's simple, but it's not easy. It's the hardest thing I've done in the last few years easily. And that's why I need to use routine to anchor myself. And that's why usually by 10 or 11 p.m. I'm tapped out emotionally. Even though I'm not doing any emails, I'm not writing any grants, I'm not doing any of that. I'm just doing work on myself and doing podcasts. But I'm pretty drained every day. And that's why I also look forward to the weekend because you need that balance, right? I think the COVID taught us everyone that when you're stuck at home all day, if you don't create boundaries, it just all blends into one. And that's another consequence I wanted to avoid. But yeah, I think, um, yeah, I was able to be more balanced because I'm very intense as a person. Uh, I'm sure you're going to laugh, Aiden, you could agree based on our countless professional partnerships that we share, even for being best friends. I'm very intense of a person. I'm intense towards myself. I voluntarily wake up at 4.45 a.m. to work out. Not anymore, but when you and I first met, when life demands it, I could wake up at 4 a.m., 5 a.m. and work out. And for a long time, I actually woke up before my girlfriend did, even when she was in medical school. And I'm very intense. I could do work 70-hour weeks. I could do all this. But I realized intensity transfers and it spills over. It's professionally speaking, being very intense, type A, go, go, go person who is very initiative, outspoken, high-functioning. There's a lot of dividends, professionally speaking, with my promotion, with accolades, with validation. But then I realized I can't always turn that off in my personal life. So then during my moments of arguments, when I'm heated with my girlfriends or my family or with you, we argued a lot, obviously, that intensity still shows through. And it's not a good or a bad thing, but it does talk about the importance of recognizing when a trait services you or when it disservices you. And in my work life, my intensity is a huge service. But in my interpersonal life with you, my girlfriend, my best friends, my family, it's a huge disservice. And for the past month and a half, since I've dedicated my time on just working on myself, but nothing else, I realize I'm being less intense in terms of when I'm producing work, such as when I'm editing, when I'm doing podcast related work, guest outreach, talking to different guests, I'm not as intensive and I'm not as productive, quote unquote, as before. But likewise, I'm also less intense in my personal life. And there has been way less arguments, way less arguments, way less quarrels. Um, So it's a very meta and very hard thing to articulate. And I try my best to articulate this so that some of the listeners could take away from that. But I do want to say that being high functioning in anything in life has a hidden cost. And for me, it's usually professionalism coming at the cost of my personal life and that's what i mean by i could feel this tangible shift or act of rebalancing because like you said it's a process it's not really the outcome i'm not i'm not achieving this unachievable zen status after this two months of working on myself that's not my goal that's not my intention but i just want to find contentment in the process of just balancing myself 
Yeah, thanks for sharing, man. I think this conversation is really close to my heart because I'm also a Enneagram 3, which is the achiever. And I think I would encourage all listeners to go check out the Enneagram tests because they give really, really valid and well-based, I guess, psychoanalysis based on the way that you answer specific questions. And the concept is that everyone falls into a number one through nine, and those numbers generally are driven by our motivations and ultimately fears that kind of dictate the way that we navigate life. And seeing the framework of how we relate to ourselves and relate to one another through this numbered system has really helped myself unpack a lot of these ideas. And for the three, just for context, the three is known as the achiever. We typically find our worth through the doing and our what they call the way back home or the way back to ourselves is by reconnecting with silence, engaging in solitude, and really going through a lot of these practices that you just articulated. And with that being said, I want to have this relate to people that may not be a Enneagram three or an achiever. You know, there's nine different numbers. People have very different ways of seeing and relating to the world. And the ethos of what I'm hearing from your story is finding the intersections of how you're showing up in different interactions, right? So you said that intensity transcended work, but affected your personal relationships or your intimate relationships, but really seeking the intersections of the way that you're showing up in different ways. So for me, it's a little bit on the contrary side of being a little bit more of a pushover. Like I definitely pride myself on going with the flow, but a lot of times I put aside my true wants, my true desires, for the sake of appeasing other people. So like there's a bit of a people pleasing tendency that I'm still continuing to move through, but it's looking at where that people pleasing tendency intersects in my work, in my relationships, in my health and fitness. Like sometimes showing up to do a workout just because someone else wants to do them and not really inserting myself and not really voicing my own wants or desires of what I want that experience to look like. So. That's one of the things I'd like to just encourage listeners to think through is the intersections of how you're relating to different elements of your life and where that intersection might lie, because that's really to what you articulated, the shadow work, or like where the answers usually lie. And with that being said, I'd like to ask you what some of the questions you are asking through this process. As you mentioned, we'll kind of take a deeper dive into this shadow work process, both with our upcoming interview, as well as an upcoming mini episode. But I think giving the listeners some tangible questions to be asking around this process of redefining productivity and idleness, redefining our relationship with those things. Uh, For me, one of the big questions that comes up is what's truly motivating me right now? Is it achievement? Is it pleasing others? Is it the fear of judgment? Or is it creating something that I truly want to create? Um, So for me, what's motivating me has been a really profound question that I continue to ask myself, but I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts of what are some of the questions that you've been asking over the last few months of this transitionary period? Yeah, that's a really good question, Aiden. So my answer is a little bit wishy-washy because I don't necessarily, based on my decision or my thought process every day, rooted in a specific questionnaire, so to speak it's more situational, right? And I think this is when, once again, intention shines through, but also like intuition. 
but obviously I can't unpack what intuition is and I can't really self-analyze my intuition and synthesize that for the listeners because intuition takes time through a lot of cultivated practices, through meditation, journaling, working on yourself, which took me years. But I think it's more of a general Socratic method. Right? Obviously, Socratic method is simply just a method of asking questions. And usually it's predicated in either why, asking more whys. So for the first month of depressive period where I was exhibiting depressive symptoms, very moody, I was very anxious, I was very sad, I was very down. And then the last two weeks where the things were starting to get a little bit better and that's when my transition took place. And obviously the past month has been very dedicated to this routine-centric focus on working on myself in addition to this podcast. So the question would usually take place something like whenever I'm not doing anything or let's say whenever the night before I go to sleep, I decide what I want to focus tomorrow for. I ask myself, is what I'm spending my time and energy on, just is it worth it? Um, So it could be, oh, maybe tomorrow I just want to take a day off and watch Netflix for a few hours. But then another thing that shines through is metacognition, right? Which obviously we spend a lot of time on is being metacognitive of our thought process. Once again, I fully acknowledge the potential wishy-washiness and trickiness of this, or I guess elusiveness of this answer. Now, but like I said, the question that I try to anchor myself situationally, because the answer is always, it depends, is anytime I want to do something, I ask myself, is whatever activity, whatever people, whatever thing I want to commit to for however long, is it worth it? And once again, it depends on the person. And like Aiden alluded to uh, beautifully that him and I are both uh, type three. We're both archetypically achievers. That doesn't mean we're better than you. It just means we tend to derive joy and purpose and fulfillment based on achievements more so than other types of people. Um, So I'll try to make this as applicable to as many people as I can. For me, worth it means I need to derive some sort of dividends. I need to derive some sort of output based on the input. And even though I'm not doing work, work-related things, professionally speaking, I'm still committing time, energy on things that make me feel better. So worth it for me means, am I going to feel better about myself? Am I going to strengthen my relationship with a friend? Am I going to strengthen my relationship with myself after this activity that I'm planning to do the night before? Because you can't really plan your day in the morning of. This is when intention matters. This is when intention is supported by the intuition. But you can't just wake up and saying, I will decide what I want to do. Then there's no routine. And at least for me, I need a routine to anchor my sanity. That's my personality trait. So that's what I mean by I ask myself, is it worth my time? And in addition to that is I've been alcohol free completely for almost two and a half months now. And obviously I shared about my vulnerable breakup story the month before I moved to LA with my girlfriend two episodes ago, where I urged people to check it out for more context. And one of the pledges I made is to quit drinking alcohol. Because as we all know, alcohol is a great social lubricant, but it is not a great tool of de-escalation. When I want to de-escalate, when the heat, when the temperature is rising, when Becky and I argue, as all couples do, I realized alcohol didn't help us to de-escalate from the situation. Things just get worse. That's what alcohol does. 
So I pledge to quit drinking as part of the remedies, part of my commitment to our relationship. Now I realize that any social events, because I'm a very, very big extrovert, even though with my work, with this act of balancing, with this shift in balancing that we've been saying this episode, I now love solitude. I love spending my time with myself. That's why when Becky's at work in hospital for 12, 14 hours a day, I do not feel any sense of boredom. I spend a lot of time on reading. That's what I do after my shadow work completes every day. And yeah, I was surprised by how easily I was able to fulfill my time with once I went over that mental fuckery, as I called it, right? The whole decision-making, the whole thought process, the indecisiveness, the uncertainties. And But yeah, I think that using the questions such as, you know, is whatever I want to commit to worth my time is a great anchor. And since I gave up alcohol, it made my life even easier. And it's almost like applying the art of saying no externally to internally to yourself. So now, like I said, since I gave up alcohol, whenever people want to ask me to hang out, if alcohol is an incentive, 10 to 20% of the reason why I want to hang out with you, now I have the option to say, unless I want to hang out with you 100% without alcohol as an incentive, I just say no. And guess what? Because I made a determination that it's not worth it for me. There's no judgments. I have nothing against a friend. I have nothing against what he or she's doing. But for me, it's not worth my time because I'd rather spend the time with myself based on reading, doing podcasts, whatever that may be. And it's like the idea of opportunity cost, right? But yeah, in summary, I don't really follow a specific questionnaire, but I just use that one question, the Socratic method of just asking my own thoughts any, any situation in all times. I don't just ask a question once a day. It's any time I'm about to commit something that requires expenditure of my time and energy, I pause and ask myself, is it worth my time? Is it adding value to myself, to me? And it's not a place of judgment, it's to me. And in a way, it's saying no to my own thoughts. It's saying no to my own urges. It's saying no to my own desires. Is the art of saying no is very important and prevalent in the external world, right? You have to say no to your projects. You have to say no to hangout sessions, to recuperate, to rejuvenate, to recover. But even a layer deeper than that, that I've been doing is applying the art of saying no onto myself is, oh, I want to do X, Y, and Z. Take a pause and saying, do I want to say no to myself? And I've been doing that a lot for the past month, which I think is a reason why I became more introverted on a personality trait, on a psychological level. And I became more, you know, in tuned with myself and I became more embraceive. And I love, I genuinely enjoy spending time with myself. And Aiden, you can attest to this. Even a year or even six months before this, you'd have never heard me saying, I love spending time with myself because I'm always in a social circle. So that's probably the best tangible way I could say because intuition is very tricky and very difficult to unpack. And obviously my intuition is my own, but I think hopefully this answer can bring emphasis based on intention and intuition. I love that. Definitely can confirm, you know, as of a year ago, I am surprised to hear you saying that you love spending time with yourself, but I think that's an exciting journey to be on and one that I'm also excited for you to be on. I really love that question that you ask because it's one very similar to the one that I ask. The way that I relate to it is, does this thing serve me? And I think the 
idea with something serving a person or being worth it to a specific person is that it leaves room for context and flexibility. I think the example you used alcohol that can serve a lot of people and in a lot of different situations, but it can also not serve a lot of people in a lot of different situations, right? So yesterday I just went to a wedding. I drank some alcohol because as you mentioned, social lubricant, everyone there was drinking. It was a nice time to consume some beverages with people. However, if I'm walking into work for a meeting to the CFO, drinking a six pack beforehand probably would not serve me or my career, but really asking that internal question, is this thing serving me or not serving me? It seems that that first answer of what we think is generally the correct answer of whether something is serving or not serving. And one last question that I'd like to share that I've been asking after reading a really profound book by Kamal Ravikant. The book is called Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It. And the question that he poses is, in this moment, if I truly loved myself, what would I do? And similarly, the intuitive first answer that comes up, either the yes or no, or the this or that, is generally the one that I've been trying to move through. And I think this is almost like a more narrowed focus of that specific, is this serving me or is this not serving me? But really putting self-love as the forefront question or the forefront focus that really allowed me to get clearer on what specific decisions I'm making and how I'm relating to those decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And I think once again, this is a reason like our former guest Wes Wilson alluded to beautifully in our episodes is that you truly can't love yourself without spending time with yourself. Self-love is an absolute necessity and the foundation of all relationships because you cannot love others. You cannot care for others without loving for yourself first. Because if you don't know how to spend time with yourself, if you don't understand how to love yourself first, how can you possibly know how to love others? You can't. And But I think in terms of like self-love, intuition, intention, are being so saturated in today's context through social media, Everyone is a holistic coach nowadays. Everyone's an entrepreneur. So a lot of people are very allergic to these terms. But I do want to urge people to, you know, try to, once again, say no to your own thoughts. Because everything you're thinking isn't necessarily true, right? That's why asking yourself, is it true? Is it serving me? Is it disserving me? Is it worth it? Is it not worth it? In my case or in Aiden's example, it all comes down to, do you love yourself? Do you care about yourself to do the work? And if you do care about yourself and if you do love yourself, then it's important to examine your own thoughts. It's important to addressing your own desires, your own urges. That's how mindfulness is developed and that's all contribute ultimately to your consciousness and your intuition. Yeah, this is a pretty special episode for me because I never thought I would say this, but after my initial month of mental health slump, after my first two weeks of depressive period that I went through since my first unemployment and my first period of idleness ever to now, I'm not on the other side yet. And that's not my goal. That's not my intention. The process is the pursuit itself. And now as this recording is taking place, like today's July 24th on a Saturday. And as we're talking about this on the mic, I feel very content and I feel very at peace. Uh, I'm not at peace with the world necessarily. 
I don't have a source of income since I'm a full-time student. So there are still financial scarcity. There are still you know, insecurities that I'm working through, which is why I started this shadow work journey for 40 days. There are still areas of growth and there are still vast areas that I need to work on. I need to be more, be better. But that aside, in terms of my journey and how I feel different now is it's insane. I feel so content. I feel very fulfilled. And it's a weird thing because situationally speaking, my circumstances haven't changed. I'm still in the same apartment when I first moved here. I'm still using the same things. I'm still living in the same area when I was depressed or exhibiting depressive symptoms the first month of idleness versus now. Circumstances didn't change, but my inner reality has changed so much. And I wish I could convey this and display how full I'm feeling spiritually. I feel like my spiritual jar has been filled more so than it has in a long, long time. And if you understand and if you acknowledge the importance of spirituality, if you acknowledge and agree with the importance of spiritual work, I have no doubts that you understand what I'm trying to convey here. But to the others, if you don't think this is as applicable to you, I urge you not to dismiss it, but try to unpack and pause and listen and just ask yourself these questions. And hopefully we provided enough applicable and practical tips that you can apply this onto your own lives as well. Yeah, and I think where you just left us is a great place to wrap up. And it's almost a funny and interesting full circle moment because the first interview that we ever did was with Tooth Fam. And one of the biggest takeaways from that interview was the idea that our external worlds are simply a reflection of our internal worlds. And that seems to be the exact idea that you just articulated. So. I myself find it very peaceful and inspiring that we're having these similar conversations and moving through and actually embodying those lessons that we've learned mentally through conversations with folks over the years. And the last thing that I really want to mention is that the fact that we both recognize that when things are dark, when things are difficult, asking these questions is challenging, right? Sometimes getting out of bed is challenging. Sometimes taking that next step is a really difficult thing to do. But in the 27 years that I've been here, the one thing that I recognize is that life is seasonal. There's always ups and downs. There's always lights and darks. I think the saying of riding the wave is, you know, a cliche for a reason. There's always gonna be highs, there's always gonna be lows, but really, I guess, embracing that seasonal approach and really trying to dive into the darkness and soar when things are good um, is something that I've found especially helpful. It sounds like you have as well over these past few months. So I would like to echo the ethos of this whole conversation in that, you know, life is very seasonal, really embrace those seasons as you see fit and kind of allow these questions and intuition to guide you with wherever you're trying to go. Yeah, absolutely. It's absolutely the best way to end this episode. And I just want to say that what you just shared reminds me of your 25 lessons that you shared from your turning 25 episodes from two years ago now. And I think you are the first person to introduce me to the idea or the concept of seasonality, right? Embracing the seasons. When it rains, embrace it because there is no harvest season without the rain. You need the rain to appreciate the light. You need the rain to appreciate the rainbow. And you also are the one who introduced me almost two years ago now with the idea of 
that darkness isn't necessarily the opposite of light. Rather, darkness is simply the absence of light. So just like the two weeks, three weeks of season of darkness, where I was lost, when I felt worthless, when I felt I wasn't producing or contributing anything to the world, because I wasn't, objectively based on the output perspective, but rather, like, don't view that as permanent, because darkness eventually fades away, the sun eventually rises again. And obviously, seasonality is something we're both very passionate about, because mental health is a season, physical health is a season, and life is a season. Sometimes you have to go double speed, sometimes you have to drive 100 miles an hour, but sometimes you don't have to drive at all. And that's the biggest takeaway I've taken away from my idleness and what happened to my inner reality once I learned how to embrace that. So with that being said, I really hope that this episode was equally relevant and resonating with the listener as it was for both of us. And like as always, we will include any relevant show notes in the episode descriptions with the books and the concepts we alluded to in this episode. And as always, if you have made it to this far, we really appreciate you for discovering more with us this week. And we hope to see you again next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Discover More. We release a new episode every Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And would really appreciate if you have subscribed and shared this with your friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode and join us next week in the journey of discovering more through intentional dialogues.